Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Series uh, called Reverse. We've been talking about concepts basically that I learned uh, when I was involved in wrestling. I didn't think anybody but Woody and myself had uh, participated in wrestling, and then I found we I found out we had another weird guy that comes to our church. Uh, Brandon Becker wrestled. I didn't know that. So one of these days we're going to set up a mat and do it. No, no, we're not going to do that because we would hurt ourselves badly, um, and we don't want to pull weight anymore. I had to pull weight when I was in high school. Y'all don't know this is part of wrestling. Some of you don't, but I actually was I was kind of skinny back then. I, I think that's when I weighed 89 pounds, so I was kind of heavy. Uh, no, I, when I was a freshman. Through my junior year, I wrestled at 101, 101 pounds, uh, and my junior year, I'd actually blossomed to 120 pounds, and so therefore, since I couldn't beat the guy at 123 pounds, which was the weight class, I had to pull weight. I pulled to 101, so my entire junior wrestling season, this is no exaggeration, this is truth, I would eat all day. I'd get up in the morning and eat a piece of toast, no butter, then I would go to lunch, and I don't even like fruit. This is why I don't eat fruit today. But I would eat uh, a slice of orange and drink, which this was probably not the best idea, but I would drink a carton of chocolate milk. That was my, my lunch. That's all I would eat. I would. This is another thing y'all don't know about wrestling. I would spit all day long because you lose water weight doing that. And then when we would go to practice, I would wear what is known as plastics, which is basically a glorified trash bag that you wear on you from top to bottom, and then you put sweats over it, and you wrestle two-hour practice, and you could literally, this is gross, I know, but you could literally pull that plastic back, and water would just run off of you. And I would do that. That's why I didn't wrestle my senior year. <laughs> I called my coach said, I am done pulling weight. And so it's not healthy. They don't do that that much anymore. They're a lot better at it. I, I saw one of our guys, he he walked around. His walking, weight, walking around weight was about one um, 65 and he would pull to 136 and I saw him on a mat one day in practice lock up his fingers went just like this his toes locked up we had to grab him and and we had to call the ambulance he had been popping salt pills so he could spit and so wrestlers are crazy but anyway so let's see how much you I, this is a test I haven't given you a test in a while here's a test I want to see if you've learned anything about wrestling since we started this series when you wrestle and you face off against your opponent and you shoot and take them off your feet and you gain control, can anybody tell me how many points you get? See, so y'all ain't listening a lick. Two! You get two for a takedown. Come on! Two points for a takedown. Come on! I'm disappointed. That's the easy one. Two points for a takedown. If you turn them towards their back past 45 degrees and you hold them, how many points do you get? How much? Uh, two through four. See, Jeff knows. He cheated. He already knew. You, they, they count near fall points, right? What happens if you turn them all the way to their back, put both shoulders on their mat, uh, on the mat for two seconds? What happens? You pin them. You win. All right, so if you're on bottom and you fight and you get away from them, how many points do you score? One. That's right. It's called an escape. So we've been talking about a reverse because if you turn the tables on them and you get, a, you get control of them, it's better because how many points do you get? Two, thank you, all right, one person was listening, thank you very much. We may have to do more tests, I'm going to tell you. So here's some lessons for quick review that we've learned. Quit quitting, you never win if you quit, if you quit ever. Keep fighting. Second, I told you, don't settle for escape. There are moments in your life where it is, it is 
of the best, the best option for you is to get away with the hair on your chinny-chin-chin and escape. But there are other moments in your life where you've got to discern God's heart because he may be trying to give you dominion over what has been defeating you. And so you should not always settle for an escape. The third thing I told you is don't focus on your can'ts. Take care of what you can do. I'm not interested in what you can't do. All of us have things we cannot do. There are some things in your life that you cannot control. But if you would just take care of what you can do, like if you can treat your spouse better, you ought to. If you can treat your kids better, you ought to. If you can work a steady job, you ought to. You cannot focus on what you cannot do. You must take care of what you can do. I told you that timing is essential, that if you have to break God's laws to accomplish a reverse, you've got the wrong timing. I told you if you have to cover up what you're doing, then that's not God's timing, and you will not see a God reverse. You may try to force a reverse on your own, but you've got to discern the right timing. Then I told you that, uh, many, last week I told you that many of us need a reverse because we failed to guard the strength of our life. What got you free keeps you free. And if you fail to guard, whether that be church attendance, whether that be relationships, whether that be reading your word, whether that be tithing, whether that is anything else, whatever the area of strength in your life is, if you fail to guard that area of strength in your life, then you, what you will discover is that you're going to need a reverse. So I would rather you not ever need a reverse. By guarding your strength, you can, you can disarm the enemy in your life. How many of y'all know we make it really easy on the devil? Yeah, okay. Uh, y'all ain't being honest today, but that's okay. Then I told you that some, there are things in your lives that will grow back. That was the lesson we learned from Samson. That there are things in our lives that are cut off and they're painful and we think that it's a desperate situation. But the good news is that God is a reversing God and some of those things can grow back if we won't give up. And then I told you that we've got to recognize that the areas of disappointments in our life can actually be his appointments. We think that when things go wrong that God is not in it. But what I would say to you is that there are times in life where we go through hard moments, disappointing moments, and what God is actually doing is positioning us to find an appointment so that he can turn it around and grab glory and honor out of a negative situation. So don't get so discouraged that you miss the fact that in your disappointments, you can find his appointments. Now, I have really, really struggled. I told Julie, I really, really struggled on how to bring this series to a close because here's my dilemma. When you open up Scripture, every page is full of a reverse account. Isn't that true? I mean, you think about all the, the accounts in Scripture, and page after page after page, it seems like every page you turn to, there is a reverse that God is accomplishing in the lives of people. And some of them that I wanted said, I'm not going to get to deal with them, so I'm just going to throw them out there, and you can apply them to your own life. I wanted to deal with Jonah. Because what I wanted to tell somebody, I don't know who this is for, so if this is for you, this is all you're getting, uh, so you better apply it quick. I wanted to tell somebody in the room that you're not going to be spit up until you straighten up. That was good. That was worth the price of admission right there. Some of you have, feel like your life has been totally swallowed up, and you want God to straighten things out in your life. But until you straighten out, he won't allow you to be spit up into, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to preach that message. The second one I thought about was the three Hebrew children because I realized that what they teach us is this. Most of us want to reverse before we endure any pain. 
But the three Hebrew children's lives teach us that most of the time God shows up in the middle of our fire. And okay, see y'all, you see y'all, y'all want me to preach that one, but I got another one. But just so you'll know, if you're going through something tough right now, just hang on. I know you wish God would have shown up before you started enduring what you're enduring, but the truth is, is that He can show up right in the midst of it. And then I wanted to deal with a woman caught in adultery, where the the legalistic religious folks pull her out in front of Jesus. I, I'm still wondering where the man was, but. Um, she was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know, it just takes two to tango is what I think. But she was caught in adultery. And what I wanted to teach you was about a reverse is that sometimes it's good to get caught. <laughs> Y'all ain't no help this morning. Y'all know if I passed all this up that there must be something tight coming because this, this is good stuff. Sometimes it's good to get caught because God's judgment is filled with grace more than man's judgment. Some of you just need to get caught. Okay, I'm going to move on because y'all are tight right now. All right, so after thinking about all that, I came to this story, and I'd been contemplating this story, and I want you to join me in Esther chapter 2. Esther's all happy right now because I'm preaching about her this morning. Esther chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says this, The king fell in love with Esther far more than with any of his other women or or any of the other virgins. He was totally smitten by her. He placed a royal crown on her head and made her queen in the place of Vashti. Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of, man, why do they have these hard names? Hamadatha? The Agagite, something like that. Making him the highest ranking official in the government. Haman, the son of Cecil. I don't know, I just thought of Cecil all of a sudden, Jamie, I don't know why. The Agagite, making him the, I'm just going to call him Cecil from here on out, making him the highest ranking official in the government, all the king's servants at the king's gate used to honor him by bowing down and kneeling before Haman. That's what the king had commanded, except Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't do it. He wouldn't bow down and kneel. And the king's servants at the king's gate asked Mordecai about it. Why do you cross the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him about this. But he wouldn't listen. So they went to Haman, little tattletales. They went to Haman to see whether something should be done about it. Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow and kneel before him, he was outraged. Meanwhile, having learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. He looked for a way to to eliminate not just Mordecai, but all the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Verse 13. Bulletins were sent out by the couriers to all the king's provinces with order to massacre, kill, and that's pretty severe, isn't it? Massacre, kill, and eliminate. I don't know how you massacre and kill without eliminating, but eliminate all the Jews, youngsters and old men, women and babies on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month Adar, and to plunder their goods, Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dinner with Queen Esther. And at the second dinner, while they were drinking wine, the king asked Queen Esther, What would you like? Half of my kingdom. Just ask, and it's yours. And Queen, An- Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it please the king, give me my life and give my people theirs, their lives. We've been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, sold to be, uh, to be massacred and eliminated. If we had just been sold off into slavery, I wouldn't even have brought it up. Our troubles wouldn't have been worth bothering the king over, she understood. 
timing. King Xerxes exploded. Who? Who? Where is he? This is monstrous, an enemy, an adversary. This evil Haman, said Esther. Haman was terror-stricken before the king and queen. Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, spoke up. Look over there. There's the gallows that Haman built for Mordecai, Mordecai, who saved the king's life. It's right next to Haman's house, 75 feet high. And the king said, hang him on it. So Haman was hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai, and the king's hot anger cooled. Talk about a reverse story. If you've never read the short book of Esther, you have missed an entire saga of one reverse after another. What we discover is that Esther was an orphan. I don't know what happened to her mother and father. I have no clue. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us that she didn't have a mother and father. She had lost them somewhere. She was an orphan. And suddenly an uncle by the name of Mordecai steps into the picture and adopts her and raises her as his own. That's a reverse. Then what we discover is that Mordecai takes her. Um, what happens is this. He takes her and allows her to be raised almost in the palace because what happens is is that Xerxes' wife, the queen, Vashti, became a little too arrogant for her own good because the Bible says that the king called for her and wanted her. He was entertaining a bunch of guests. He wanted her to come and see him. Go read it. It's interesting. So he could show off her beauty. I have to do that all week long so I understand. Yeah, I'm brownie points. Y'all get that later. Some of y'all need to turn to your wife like right now and say, that's what I'm doing all week long. I'm just showing off your beauty. That's why I call for you to come in the room. Come on. I'm helping you guys right now. This is going to be a good day for you. Turn to your wife right now and say, I'm showing off your beauty. Okay. That's what happens. He wants to show off the beauty of the queen, but she refuses to respond to his request, and he gets so angry that he kills her. So forget that part of the story, husbands. If she won't come in the room when, she, when you ask, just forget I even talked about that aspect of it. And so what happens is Esther's being raised, and she, she gains so much favor with the king's staff that when the queen is destroyed, she has so much favor, and she's so beautiful that she catches the king's eye, and he makes her queen instead. Catch this picture now. She was an orphan, and now she's queen. That is a reverse. In fact, let me just say this to you this morning, that if you know Christ as your personal Savior, which I think everybody probably in this room does, and if you don't, you can before you get out of here. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, then that is your story. You were once an orphan, and you've been elevated to the place of the bride. Wow, it's a reverse. Then what we discover is this, is that Mordecai overhears some dialogue and some talk and he finds out that there's a plot to kill the king. And so he tells Esther. Esther goes to the king and reveals what's happening. And the king takes care of his servants that are trying to kill him. And so once again, Esther and Mordecai are elevated. And the king appreciates their loyalty. But then all of a sudden, we're told, I read to you what happens, is this one gentleman raises up in power. Haman is elevated in the kingdom. The Bible says is that he's the highest-ranking government official, which means that he is just right below the king. He's got favor in the king's eyes. He's egotistical. He is power-hungry. He is prideful. He wants ever. The king even buys into it and says, everybody's got to bow down to Haman because he's so powerful. But Mordecai refuses. And, more, and so Haman gets aggravated and decides that what he's going to do 
is he's going to kill not only Mordecai, but he's going to kill every Jew. And then you know the rest of the story. If you've ever read this, this account, you understand the reverse that takes place because what happens is, is that Mordecai tells Esther and he makes, he, he intervenes with this now what is a famous quote. You've heard this quote even if you haven't been in church for very long. For such a time as this. Y'all remember that quote? Mordecai approaches Esther and says, For such you were born, you were appointed queen for such a time as this. And she goes and she gains access to the king and she tells the king what's happening and she turns the table on Haman and Haman is hung on the very gallows that he was going to kill Mordecai. That's called a reverse. That's called no weapon formed against me shall prosper it won't work right that's a reverse and so there are some things that I want to teach you three very important lessons out of this account to wrap this series up the first thing I want to say to you is that sometimes you need a reverse and you don't even know it think about this a moment Esther wasn't aware and did not recognize that she needed a reverse she was living her she was so oblivious to what was going on around her. I don't know if she was just too busy shopping as the queen. I don't know if she was too busy getting massages as the queen. I don't, I don't know what the queen was doing. But she was so oblivious to what was going on around her that she didn't even recognize that she needed a reverse. In fact, she was just living her normal, cocooned, favored, blessed life and was totally unaware that she needed a turnaround. And I bring that to your attention this morning because I think that there are some of you that are under the sound of my voice that uh, may not even recognize that you need a reverse. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored of God. Have you ever met anybody that was bound and they didn't know it? Have you ever been in association with anybody that their whole life was so dysfunctional and out of order and filled with chaos, but they didn't even recognize it. In fact, they thought it was normal. Have you ever met someone that was right on the brink of disaster and they had no clue? Julie likes this show on TV. I, 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 I watch it with her occasionally. It's called Intervention. Any of y'all ever watch that? That is a show about people whose lives are totally out of control because of alcohol or drugs. It's one of the freakiest shows I've ever seen because here you've got people whose lives are so devastated and so destroyed by the addiction of their life, and most of them don't even recognize how bad off they are. In fact, when it comes time for the intervention and their families are basically telling them, we're cutting you off if you don't deal with your, your problem, they sit, they sit there stunned as if they got it all together. I mean, they show pictures of them about what they look like before the drugs and after the drugs, and they're just a, a shadow of their former selves, and they will look at you and say, I don't need any help. Really, you're living in a dumpster. Really, you're living in an unfurnished house with crack pipes everywhere and you can't hold a job and you got scabs all over your face and your hair is falling out, but you don't need any help. And we go, that is crazy. But what we, rec we fail to recognize is that there are many of us here that although we don't have scabs all over us and our hair, well, um, <clears throat> that just hit me. I'm not going to say our hair is not falling out because some of us are. But, but, but our lives don't resemble what we see on the television show. The truth is, is that many of you have settled for dysfunction as if it's normal. 
and you've settled for some freedom rather than all the freedom that has been afforded us by Christ. And so what happens is, as we go through life and we, we, we come to this place and, and what we do is, is we go, well, you know, my marriage isn't that bad. But it's not what it could be. And we get used to the, the fights and we get used to the arguments and we get used to the abuse and we get used to the, the, the disconnect and we go, my mayor, I can just handle this. No, you need a reverse. We, we, we barely make ends meet and, and, and we think, man, I'm always, it's just always going to be this way and, I, and I'm never going to be prosperous. So I'm just going to deal with my poverty and I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to do anything about it. This is just the way it's always. My, my daddy was poor. My granddaddy was poor. I, I, I'm just going to. And we don't even recognize that we need a reverse. This temptation in my life that I continue to struggle with and battle week after week after week, I'll just come to this place where I'll just say, you know what, it's always going to be like this, and I have to put up with this, and that's just normal. And what I would say to you this morning is that is not normal. And what I would say to you is whether you recognize it, understand it or not, you need a reverse. The problem is is that some of us will never recognize the need for a reverse in our own lives. And that is the beauty and that is the power of the story of Esther is that what I am telling you is that you need somebody in your life that can watch from the sidelines and recognize your need for a reverse. You need people in your life that you've given permission to that can step in at any given moment and say, you're not as free as you should be. And your marriage is not as strong as it ought to be. And you're battling the same temptation and Christ has afforded freedom from that. You need somebody in your life that can slap you upside your head and wake you up and call your stupidity stupid and you won't get offended. You need somebody in your life that has permission to look at you square in the eyes and say what you're doing or what you're thinking about doing or what you're planning to do is sin. There's no way to call it anything else. It's sin. And you need somebody that can take you and shake you out of oblivion and say, wake up, you need a reverse. There's this show on that I kind of like to watch. It's called Ultimate Fighter. It's the story of guys that are trying to break into the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and they're unknowns and they're struggling in their careers and they're trying to get the big break and it's a reality show, that, so they stuff them all into one house and they make them hate one another and then they fight and whoever wins gets a, a $100,000 contract and gets to fight on the big stage, right? Julie doesn't like it, not because they're stupid in the house, and not I think not even because it's about fighting. I think what aggravates her the most, if she's ever in the room when I watch them this, I always get the same suggestion. I started to call it a command, but suggestion. She always says, turn it down, because when they're fighting, everybody that's watching in the room is yelling at the top of their voice, giving advice. And I remembered, every wrestler needs a spotter. Every wrestler needs a good wrestling coach that's sitting on the side of the mat that can call out warnings. Like watch for a fireman's carry. Watch for a headlock. Watch his leg. He's trying to put the y'all don't even understand. Put the hooks in. Y'all don't have a clue what that means. That's all right. But but watch out for that. You need somebody in your life that can do that because here's the truth that you need to hear this morning is the enemy 
we become so used to the enemy's works in our own lives that we don't even recognize what he's trying to do. And you got to have somebody. Go get yourself an uncle. Go get yourself an aunt. Go get yourself a mama. Go get yourself a mentor. Go get yourself a pastor. Go get yourself a friend. Go get somebody that you trust that you will listen to their spotting so that when the enemy's coming against you, they can holler out and say, watch out. He's going to deceive you. He's going to. You need somebody like that in your life. The other thing a good wrestling coach will do is they will call out openings. He's open. He, he's a, the, the, the double leg is available. Look for the headlock. It's open. He's leaving his arm. Get it. They point out opportunities. You need somebody in your life that will not only warn you, you've got to have somebody in your life that will say, you're about to miss an opportunity. There's an opportunity. There's an opening right now. You could get free right now. If there was a, you got to stay at your job. Don't be stupid. Stay at your job. Work hard. This is your opportunity. Don't quit this job and go get another one. Don't leave this spouse and go get another one. Don't. This is your job. This, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. Hang in there. You've got to have somebody like that, in your, like that in your life. Listen, I am I am imploring you to give somebody that kind of permission in your life. I would beg to argue or submit to you this morning a dangerous truth, I think. I may be wrong. I hope I am. But I would venture this morning that about 95% of you in this room don't have anybody like that in your life. you got nobody in your life that, see, because here's, here's how it works. I, I wished I could be that person in your life, and I can for some of you, but here's the truth. It's too easy for it to just be a, a pastor in a church because then if you don't like what I warn you about, you can leave. In fact, we've had that happen. I call out sin for what it is, and people get mad and leave. So that's too easy. You've got to have somebody that's close to you, that cares about you, that you look at them and say, if you're mean to me, if you're brutally honest to me, if you call what it is what it is, I promise you I won't get mad and break off relationship. If you don't have that person in your life, you're destined for defeat. That was good. I hope it helps somebody because it helps me. The second thing I would say to you is this. If you're going to get a reverse, you have got to approach the king. This may be one of the most important lessons that I've taught you about a reverse so far because many would say and tell you that a reverse is based on information. If you could just get a better understanding about your situation, if you could just learn more about your issue, if you could just... Get some more knowledge about what your faith, your reverse is based on knowledge and understanding and information about your temptation, your bondage. If you would just get smarter, if you would just study your sickness a little more, if you would just learn the technical aspects of your bondage, then, then you would be able to gain victory. And I want you to hear me clearly. Hear me clear. Do not misquote me. Hear me clearly this morning. I am all for information. I am all for education. I am all for you getting as much knowledge as you can possibly get. But I want you to also very clearly hear me say this morning that your freedom and your victory and your reverse will not come by might nor by power, but by getting into the presence of the King.
I came to tell somebody this morning that your victory and your reverse will not come because you get a diploma. Your victory and your reverse will not come because you get training. Your reverse will be executed when you get to the king. I want to say this to you this morning. I am glad for what you know, and I want you to know more. But I want you to hear me this morning. Your reverse is not based solely on what you know. Your reverse is completely contingent upon who you know. In fact, let me say it like this just so we're clear. If you're battling temptation, if you're battling chains, if you're battling sickness, if you're battling relationship issues, if you're battling financial issues, if you're battling emotional issues, hear me clearly, they will not turn around because you know me. So make sure that's clear. They will not turn around because you know some saint somewhere. They won't even turn around because you've learned about the king. They won't turn around because you've sung about the king. They won't turn around because you've talked about the king. The only thing that will turn your situation around is at the moment that you actually get to the king. Because, see, some of you think you're going to get your reverse because you've been hanging out in the palace. And you've heard me talk about the king, and you hear the worship team sing about the king. And because I'm in that environment, my situation will turn around and reverse. But what I came to tell you is that the lesson of Esther is this. The turnaround is only accomplished when you get a face-to-face audience and encounter with the king. How long has it been since you came face-to-face with the king? You are going to have to make up your mind that I am going to get to the king myself. I'm not going to expect Pastor Steve to get in a little walled-in area somewhere and get a hold of the king on my behalf. That won't cut it. You have got, I'm not going to wait on my, my praying mama, and I got one, to go somewhere into a private prayer place and get to the king on my behalf. That won't cut it. I'm not going to call the prayer team and say, if y'all could just pray a little bit more this week, then I know my breakthrough. No, you've got to go get in the presence of the king for yourself. In fact, we've got to gain Esther's mindset. Esther's mindset was this, I will get to the king even if it costs me everything. Go back and read the story for yourself. The queen wasn't allowed to approach the king anytime she wanted to. She had to beg for an audience. He could have, if she walks in and he's busy with something else and he doesn't want to see her, he can actually demand and command that she die on the spot. But she took her life in her hands and said, you know what, the only way this is going to change is if I can get to the king. I came to tell somebody this morning that the only solution for your battle with drugs is the king. I came to tell somebody else that the only remedy for your disease is the king. I came to tell somebody that the only healing for your marriage is the king. The only provision for your budget is the king. The only cure for your depression is the king. The only correction for your sorry attitude is the king. The only answer for your lack of talent, your lack of knowledge, your lack of beauty, the lack of a right environment, or any other excuse you may offer, the only solution is one, and that is to get into the presence of the king because if you can get into the presence of the king, he can turn it all around.
that's where the reverse comes from. And so I just wanted to come and tell somebody that you need to press into his presence. I just wanted to come and remind somebody that you need to approach the king again. Some of you have turned to everything and everyone else to try to get a reverse. And it always fails. And the reason it fails is they're not the king. You have tried everything except one thing. And I challenge you this morning to go back and desperately seek an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and lay your problems and your condition and your circumstance and your situation at His feet and see if He can't turn it around because apparently nobody else can. And the problem with that is it scares me sometimes and it kills me sometimes because some of you that I know need a desperate reverse in your life do everything in your ability to skip opportunities and to distract yourself and to refuse to participate and you miss an encounter with the king. Hear me clearly this morning. I've said it before. I'm going to say it like this again. I am thankful for our worship team. They're incredible. But if week after week all you do is walk in here and your jaw drops open at the unbelievable talents and abilities they have and you miss the opportunity that that worship team affords you, they are not here to impress you. They are not here to awe you. They are not here to sing you into some little trance, make you feel better about yourself. They are not here as a concert, although we have lights and we'll have more. That is not the purpose of the worship service that we put together each week. There is only one sole purpose. I'm thankful we've got a guitarist that can jam with anybody. I am thankful that we've got a killer drummer. I'm thankful that we've got unbelievable vocalists. But I'm telling you, they are not here to get your praise fix on. They are here to bring you face to face with the king so that he can turn your junk around. And if you come in here and just leave going, boy, the worship was good today, but you never engaged the king, you've missed it. If you listen to another message and say, well, pastor was on today, he was really getting it, but you don't have a face-to-face encounter with the king, you have missed what this is all about. You can go to a bunch of other churches and get that. But what's supposed to separate our church and our experiences from others is this. We believe that when we come together and we begin to worship, that Jesus walks straight into the room and we can be real enough to say, I've got issues and here they are. Because what I've discovered is all through my entire week, I've talked to everybody else, I've tried everything else, but now I bring my condition and I lay it at the feet of the king and suddenly because he's here, because I'm here. But because he's here, everything changes. Approach the king again. That is why, and I don't even know how to stress this hard enough. That is why this is important. 
Some of you have grown accustomed to what we do on Sunday morning. This will be unlike anything we do on Sunday. That is why you need to get away with God and have an encounter with Him so that what you're dealing with will break off. And then last, I would say this to you. To close this whole thing down, and I hope you get this. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. But until we get it, I'm going to keep saying it. This morning, I'm going to say it like this. Your reverse isn't just for you. Think about this a moment. Think about the implications of a missed reverse. What would have happened if Esther had failed to get to the king? What if Esther had been more concerned about her own well-being? What if Esther had been satisfied with her situation? What if Esther was too proud to expose the need of her own life? Some of you need a reverse so bad, but you've come to this conclusion. You've concluded that this is just about me. And since it's just about me, it doesn't really matter. I'll just learn to deal with my issue, and I'll just accept it, and I'll just give up, and I'm an island, and it won't affect anybody else. But what I came to say to you is this. This isn't just your reverse. If In Esther's case, if she did not gain a reverse, it would doom and damn an entire nation. An entire nation of Jews would have been massacred, killed, and eliminated if she had missed her reverse. For you... It may just be one person. A lack of reverse in your life may only impact your spouse. The lack of a reverse in your life may only have implications for your children. The lack of reverse in your life may only have implications for your coworkers. But it's still just as important as Esther's turnaround because this reverse is not about you. Do you really think that God wants to step in and execute a reverse just for you? Could it be that he wants to break your addiction so that your spouse and your children won't walk the same road that you've walked? How many of us doom our children to repeat the same bondages that we have dealt with because we refuse to allow God to accomplish a reverse in our life thinking that that reverse was only about us when the reality is it wasn't even about us. It was about our children coming behind us and God wants to break a generational curse starting with you that will have implications for your entire lineage. Maybe he wants to reverse the direction of your marriage for the sake of another couple that is watching how you deal with struggle. Maybe you think, well, it's just our relationship. It's not really about anybody else. This is nobody else's business but ours. But the reality is, is that God really wants to step in and produce a, a, a turnaround, a reverse in your marriage, not just for your marriage, but there's somebody watching you from the side that's thinking about allowing their marriage to go to pot. But when they see you turn yours around, they'll step in and go, if they can happen for them. If it wasn't too far gone for them, if it wasn't impossible for them, then certainly it's not impossible for us. Maybe it's a coworker that watches you deal with depression, and what they see is that they learn that depression is not a death sentence. 
by how you deal with it. Because your reverse is not just for you. It's for those that are coming behind you. Maybe he wants to turn your grades around so that some other kid that's struggling will see that with hard work and God's help, they can make it too. Let me say this to you this morning, and then I'm going to shut up. It might be okay, that's a big might, it might be okay for you to stay bound, broken, addicted, hurt, depressed, destroyed, delusioned, discouraged, if it was just about you. I might be willing to give you permission to just wallow in it. Just stay there. It's just you. Nobody else is going to be affected. It's just you. But hear me this morning. It's not just about you. You need a reverse this morning because this is not just about you. Who is behind you and who is around you? that if they see a reverse accomplished in your life, it would change their lives too. How do I know that? Let me testify. Because this, I'm living proof. Both of my parents, fathers walked away from them when they were five or seven years old. It would have been real easy for my father to say, well, I didn't have a dad. Let's do what I want to do. It doesn't affect anybody. But my mom and dad broke the curse of fatherlessness in my life because they recognized it wasn't just about them. And I want to tell you this morning, as bound as you may be and as sick as you may be and destroyed as you may be, hold your head up and press into the king and understand you got to keep fighting. you got to hang on. you got to keep believing. you got to keep pressing in because this isn't just about you. It's about those that God is placing around you to see you win so that they will win. I want you to stand with me this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Not going to do this long, so if you are ready to make a move, you need to do this quick. If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, then I am here to declare to you that you desperately need a reverse. You desperately need God to turn something around in your life. I'm telling you right now, if you don't know Jesus, you will stay bound and you will stay broken because the only solution to your dilemma is the King. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you want to give your life to Him today and start the process of reverse, it's very simple. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's not about the prayer. It's about this connection that happens between me and Jesus and I make a decision. And if that's you and you want to know Jesus this morning, would you just quickly raise a hand and pull it right back down? We just want to pray intelligently this morning. Is there one, anybody that needs to know Him this morning? then I'm going to take by that that every one of you are Christians, then what I would say to some of you this morning is some of you need a reverse and you don't even know it. You better find somebody in your life that can spot for you.
And I want to say to somebody in this room this morning, you better press into the king. Talking about the king, singing about the king, knowing about the king is not enough. Your only hope is to get to him. I want to challenge you this week in the privacy of your own quiet time, in the privacy of your own bedroom, in the privacy of your own car, in the privacy of your own cubicle, your own office, wherever you can get alone, I want to challenge you, get to the king. Quit talking to everybody else about your problems and go get to him. He's the only one that can do anything about it. We need you to do that because your reverse is not just about you. Father, this morning, I thank you that you are a reversing God. I thank you that according to what we've read over the last four weeks and even beyond that, every page of Scripture, it seems like, God, you're turning things around. You're turning things around. I pray that you would do that right now for the folks under the sound of my voice. God, there are so, there are so many folks here that need a turnaround. They need a reverse. Some under the sound of my voice have even come to the conclusion that that's not possible. But this morning, I pray that you would remind them that nothing is too difficult for you. And it is possible. And that you can turn it around. So, Father, I pray that, that if we've become oblivious to our own need for a reverse, I pray that you would send us a spotter. Somebody that we can trust that cares about our soul, that we know cares about us. And I pray that we would open our heart and spirit to them and allow them to spot for us. Not only give us warnings, but also holler out and spot opportunities so that we'll know when to strike. Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us to get to you. I am praying for a week of face-to-face encounters with you. I'm praying, God, please, I beg you, please. Let the folks under the sound of my voice, my folks, I pray that this week they would find some time, moments in their lives. Maybe it'll be unexpected. Maybe it'll be intentional. I don't care. I just pray that it would happen, that at some moment this week they would have this face-to-face encounter with you and they would understand and recognize that they got to the king and things begin to change when we're in your presence. Do that, I pray. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us about our own self-centeredness this morning and we would recognize that our victory and our breakthrough and our need for revival and our need for refreshing and our need for renewal isn't really about us. We think it is. We We become so consumed about what you can do for us that we fail to recognize that our reverse is really not about us. It's really about the other people around us that are depending and watching and counting on us to get set free so that they can see a path to freedom. I pray this morning that you would allow us to look beyond our own deal and our own problems and see that you want to turn things around, not for our glory, but for your glory so that hope can come, that lives can be changed. Father, my closing prayer for this series is this simple simple request turn it around I don't even know what the it is turn it around whatever that is in each individual's life in each family's life in each couple's life in each group of people standing here My prayer for them is this, simply God, 
turn it around. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Turn it around, God, I pray, once and for all, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you join me just one more time before we get out of this series, just right there where you're standing. Would you just allow him to turn it around? And then you're free to go. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Get in the face of the king this week. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 